Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to the Patrick Lally Show on another grand and glorious day in the best little city in America, right here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And we're going to spend the next couple hours engaged in some energetic and entertaining conversation on local, state, and national news and politics. We're going to talk about medicine and science. Science! We're going to talk about the outdoors, the great outdoors and wildlife and hunting and such. Some music. Man, what a, what a power-packed show this is. What a diverse group of topics we are going to be discussing. Uh, but I want to start with a little local politics um, because we had the uh, public input at Club David last night again because there was a city council meeting and had a had a good time with the regulars. Count, city council bingo continues to be the highlight of all things. wasn't a, It wasn't a particularly eventful meeting in terms of you know news, but there was uh, some interesting uh, public input and inf- interesting conversation. But I I. I got a little worked up at one point, okay? So the only thing of real consequence on the agenda last night was this uh, land uh, transfer. We're given some land that the city owns up by Slip Up Creek, which you'll remember, if, you, if you're an old-timer, you'll remember Slip Up Creek was going to be our water reservoir where we were going to store our drinking water should we need to go that direction. And so the city bought a bunch of land northeast of Sioux Falls. And they've had this land because we don't, you know, we decided not to do Slip Up Creek. We decided to do the Lewis and Clark water pipeline with all our friends here in the three-state area. So we still, but we still have this land. And so, uh, you know, you've probably heard these folks are looking for uh, 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 a, a spot to have a uh, veteran cemetery, a state-run veteran cemetery at East River, which is, you know, a fine idea. N- nothing wrong with that. Uh, and the city has this land uh, over by, if you know where Saddleback uh, Motorcycle Club track is, if you go straight down 229 there on the east side of town and, and you go under I-90 and, and it turns into a highway and it's just, you take a right, it's right over there, okay? So we're going to give them this land. And that's fine. Uh, I mean, you know, nobody's going to vote against this thing, right? So... It was first, have the vote, just have the vote. No, everybody's got to talk. And not just everybody in the council, which is, and even that's fine. That's fine. But like all these other people show up and most particularly a legislator, Larry Zickmund. So I don't, under, I mean, Anytime anything involves veterans anymore, people come out of the woodwork to try and connect, right? To say, I support our veterans. I, I support our veterans. And, you know, again, this is a fine uh, uh, thing to do. And it was uh, Rex Rolfing, former city councilor Rex Rolfing, who's now running for the legislature as well. He was part of it. And, and that makes sense. I mean, uh, uh, Rex Rolfing's son, Rob, was a Green Beret and, and died in Iraq in 2007 in combat. And it's a touching story. I mean, it really is a, the story of, of, of the, the sculpture that was downtown and uh, of the angel taking, you know, carrying the soldier to heaven and all that. And it's now part of Rob Rolfing's tombstone. I mean, it's, it, it is, it's just a, a very touching story and a moving story. And I, so I understand why Rex wants to be involved in this, and that makes perfect sense. And, and Rex did say a few words, but Larry Zickmund is up there and you know, this took some money from the legislature and all that. I understand that, but he's just going on. I mean, he blew right through the, uh, uh, the little three minute limit, you know, which is, which is fine, but he just keeps going on and on. And and I'm thinking to myself at this point, how, you know, I think it's, I think it's great to support veterans. I think it's very important because we ask them to do these uh, un, unthinkable acts, really. We're asking them to kill in our, in our behalf. We're asking them to put themselves in harm's way on our behalf. And I understand that, you know, that that is the ultimate sacrifice. Rob Rolfing gave the ultimate, he gave his life for his country. 
And to have a cemetery for veterans in East River is a fine thing. But I couldn't help but think that Mr. Zickman is up there trying to connect to this. I mean, he's running for re-election and all that. And, you know, just we don't you don't have to go through everything that the legislature did. to You just don't just vote on it. Just sit down. And if we really want to do something for veterans, and the, as I said, the cemetery is fine, but if you really want to do something for veterans, you pay them more. Average foot soldiers, pay them more. Take care of their families better. Give them better health care. Pay them more. Oh, and pay them more. Preach on. Well, it's, it really is ridiculous. And you hear about these stories and take care of them when they get back. Something, you know, the estimates are anywhere between 30 and 50 veterans from uh, the, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars are killing themselves every day. Isn't it ironic that people will get up there and say all kinds of great things about what they did to bring this cemetery and all the great people are, and that's fine but you're going to put the bodies in there of soldiers who killed themselves because we didn't take care of them when they came home. That we didn't recognize that maybe putting something, somebody into a war would affect them for the rest of their lives. That maybe asking a human being to kill another human being in support of our country wouldn't leave them in the best mental state when they came home and tried to readjust. Maybe that's as important as blathering on at a council meeting about how great it is that you've come up with this cemetery. And I want and Rex Rolfing, I I I believe his heart is pure on this issue. I mean, I I know why he's doing it. it's great. I mean, his son died in battle. And I'm sure Rob would think that's a fine thing, but wouldn't he also want to take care of the people that we ask to do these things? And that's what is always disturbing to me is we send them into battle with all the money they can use. And when they come home, eh, you're on your own. So that was that was my takeaway from... Uh, public input last night that's not even the pnl we're just getting into it oh yeah we're coming we're still coming we got a great show for you today it passed by the way first reading it's coming back which i mean nobody nobody's against it there's just give them the land we do have a great show for you today our guests include dr christopher sumi he is an oncologist at sanford health we're going to talk about the recent nobel prize in medicine and how that could affect cancer patients here in the Midwest. Science. Science. <laughs> That's right. Thea Miller Ryan of the Outdoor Campus will be with us along with Derek Clawwitter. He is a, uh, they got this deal uh, going on with the GFNP. Uh, it's called Hunting with Derek. So we'll find out about that. Scott Hudson is our weird friend of the day, and I will have a PL statement in addition to what I just talked about. Uh, just, you know, Trump. Trump, 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 Trump. I've, you know, I haven't, I've stayed away from the, the st- you know what I'm saying? I, I don't like to talk about the president like all the time, but I, come on, man. Well, the entire DC environment is a clown show. Come on, man. It really is. It's completely lost control out there. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Three twenty on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO, and it is the time of day when we do the B and L statement, and we uh, go through the news and look for things that uh, get our attention. And you know, I, I had a plan earlier today, and then as I'm as I'm coming to work today, and it's like, I, I, so I'm I'm driving today, which is bothersome to begin with. But 
Uh, but I get to listen to uh, the radio. And actually, in, in this particular moment, I was listening to public radio. And people are talking about the uh, the Trump rally last night when he, uh, you know, they call it mocking. Okay. I mean, call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But here's, so here's the thing. All right. Why would you do this? Why would you stand up there in the middle of this confirmation process? Right. And it was bad enough when Brett Kavanaugh during the hearing, which, you know, d- did he do these things? I mean, there's no, there's, nobody's ever going to. The FBI report will come out this week and they'll say, ooh. You know, that's probably what it's going to be. Ooh. Because there's no way to know. And they may be both telling the truth. You know what I mean? As far as they know it. It's just. But Kavanaugh sits up there and, and, and makes it into this sort of uh, uh, partisan, atta- you know, like this, the, the Clintons are coming after him out of the shadows. Uh, that was dumb. That was just plain stupid if you're trying to get on the Supreme Court. And it's got, you know, it's got nothing to do with whether, you know, he did it, didn't do it. It's like, it's because I was working for Ken Starr and I was in the Bush White House. It's all the Clintons. Okay, whatever. Then last night, the president has a rally down there in Alabama. Wasn't it in Alabama? I believe it was in Alabama. And, you know, and says it basically makes you know makes fun of uh Dr. Blasey Ford and you know and everybody's got to defend it today so Sarah Sanders says uh he's just stating the facts and that's fine you know what they were facts but tone matters, okay? Facts and tone matter. And they particularly matter when you're the president of the United States, you're trying to get a, a Supreme Court nomination through, and you just, you've got three votes in the, in the Republican caucus in the Senate that are undecided, okay? The fate of the thing rests on these three votes. It's sort of like when the fate of your health care repeal, Obamacare repeal, rested on one senator, the now deceased Senator McCain. And what did you do? You made fun of him. And so what did he do? Thumbs down. And so now you got three Republican senators, two of whom are women, who are on the fence. And what did you do last night? You just went up there and just stuck a stick in their eye. I, I, I just don't, it's so dumb. And maybe it did rile up Republican voters. And maybe, maybe in the end, what the best thing that could happen to the Republican Party right now, if they want to hold on to the Senate and maybe the House, is if Kavanaugh doesn't make it, right? Then they've got a rallying cry. Then the president has something. He's got another straw man to blame. You nominated this guy, all right? Any problems are your own. And every time somebody does something like this, you just politically, you just say, how dumb are you? And from an actual governance standpoint, from a civic standpoint, and I, I know it's all politics, right? I've said it's all politics on this program. Nobody should be, should, should be surprised that it's a political gambit. You know, it's time for the big boy pants, right? So the fact that the president does this at some measure is not a surprise because that's what he does, right? He's Trump. He gets up there and says outrageous stuff. And nothing bad ever, I mean, you know, nothing ever happens to him. There's no change. Everything is exactly the same. It doesn't matter what he says, right? But what if it does? What if it does matter what you say? Maybe the words do matter. Maybe the facts do matter ultimately. And wouldn't it be better to stick with the facts? Not make fun of a woman who says she was sexually assaulted. Not call everybody names. Just govern. Just run the country. That's all. A little bit of humility, a little bit of kindness, 
little bit of civility, please. I got no problem with politics, right? I got no problem with the hardball, the high heat, political reality, real reality. But this is just dumb. It's absurd. It's a circus. It's made for TV. It's bred in circuses. He's totally lost it. I can't stand any of them. I don't, I don't know why, what, what makes a person this mean? What makes a person this self-absorbed, this narcissistic, that you can't even give some consideration to a woman who says her life was forever changed by what happened to her in that room in 1982? Just let that go, all right? You can beat up on Nancy Pelosi. You can beat up, beat up on Chuck Schumer. Beat up on all these people. That's fine. They, they knew what they were getting into. But leave this woman alone. She had her hearing. Kavanaugh had his response. We'll see the report. Vote. Trump, the president standing up there and doing this doesn't help anybody. That's the bottom line on today's PL statement. Agree or disagree with me, you can send me an email, Patrick at KSO.com. You can uh, reach us on the Twitter at P Lally Show. It's always fun. Coming up after the news and weather, it's uh, Scott Hudson on Weird Friends. We've, uh, we've got a couple interesting things to talk about. I think you're going to like it. Stay with us. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. <laughs> Three thirty-five on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO, and it's weird friend time, and it's Wednesday, and we're very happy to have Mr. Scott Hudson in with us today, as we do most Wednesdays. Mr. Hudson, what are you doing on this fine, fine day? How is it going? Well, you, well, you know, uh, uh, thanks to your ill-timed stop at a convenience store, you already heard my rant of the day. So. <laughs> right yeah so we ran into each other this morning uh which yeah. which was you know weird but that's okay um yeah and, and uh and so we, we got to talk and talking a little bit about politics and uh news of the day yeah. and i actually talked about that a little bit just before the break so you know we'll probably have to leave that alone is that all right yeah i mean my i i got it out of my system so that yep. the, the anger is gone <laughs> I, I mean but the weird thing is i'm going to be happily talking about someone who died yeah, that's that is a little strange. So uh, we had this conversation today, and and you told me the passing of somebody that I did not know, but is in a, kind of an amazing guy, and that is a, a, a sort of producer extraordinary, uh, Jeff Emmerich, right? Yes. Uh, yes tell us about this dude. Well, he uh, he got hired by EMI Records in 1962 when he was 15 years old. Oh man! And I'm going, geez, what, what? Wow, that's crazy. Um, and the thing to, to really note about that time when it comes to recording studios, uh, uh, mainly in, in England, I'm sure it wasn't quite as strict here, is they actually wore, as far as like producers and engineers and all those people, they wore lab coats. Really? They, yeah, they, they had like a manual and how they were to record things, and they were not to deviate from that manual whatsoever. Really? And, yeah, yeah. And so in the, the early days of the Beatles, where, where the music wasn't as complex, that wasn't a problem. They came in and did a three-hour you know, block and recorded a handful of tracks every time. It was all pretty straightforward. George Martin may have added some piano, may have flushed out some of their songs, but, but it was pretty straightforward. But he, Emmerich, by the time 
he was 19, which is 1966, he had moved into becoming an, an engineer, and he was the guy. He broke every rule. I mean, he got fined by EMI multiple times. Really? Because he was... Oh yeah, he 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 created things like clo you know, closed miking drums. Um, he created ways that Paul McCartney could actually hear his bass on records. Uh, he he uh, invented something that they called it flangling at the time, but it's it's basically automatic double tracking vocals. These really? are all things that today everybody does on a daily basis, but nobody had done then. He invented. McCartney and Lennon were not, they were brilliant composers, but they weren't brilliant musicians so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were good, but, yep. but they would come to him and, I mean, Lennon would say, come to him really stoned and say, I want to sound like a thousand Tibetan monks on top <laughs> of a mountain. You know, and, and this guy would figure out a way to, to create, recreate what these guys wanted. And so his his work is all over Revolver and Sgt. Pepper, a uh, little bit on the White Album, but he finally walked out because he was, yeah, that was not a good time. And and Abbey Road, which many people consider the, like the best albums the Beatles ever did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's just an amazing guy. He's one of those behind the scenes people that nobody ever knows anything about. Uh, but he he put out an autobiography a few years ago. Um, it was called Here, There, and Everywhere, My Life Recording the Music of the Beatles. And you would think that, oh, he's talking about how he recorded it. That's mm -hmm. dry, boring, whatever. No, it was really fascinating, actually. So is this the story of just his interactions with them and how he... It would be amazing to, to sort of reconceive recorded yeah. music. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, if you, if you, when you think about it, you go back to 66, 67. Anything before 67 was pretty much recreating how you could sound on a stage. Mm -hmm. After 67, and thanks or or the blame of Sgt. Pepper records like that, it was like you were you could create something in a studio that was impossible to to perform live. Right. And you were never going to see it live. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they were the Beatles were never going to record, I mean perform Sgt. Pepper. No. They couldn't. Now nowadays with technology, McCartney can play the entire album. I mean, we <laughs> we we saw him play half of it when he was here two years ago. That's right. So, and you think about it, and it you think about when that album came out, and we hear Sgt. Pepper now, and it's you know you're like, oh yeah, those were great songs. But that very notion of creating a completely different recorded sound, right, is it's probably hard to for me to imagine what that was like to hear that in 19. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no record had, I mean, again, like I said before, bands came in three-hour sessions and recorded a bunch of songs. They spent six months on that, which today, I mean, Sting doesn't get drum tracks in six months. But, <laughs> you know, back in those days, that was like, you know, the record company was like, when is this coming out? <laughs> Why are you taking so long? When is the next tour coming? Which, of course, never happened. Yeah. They, they didn't tour again. Yeah. Where's John? <laughs> We've lost yeah. John. Yeah. <laughs> That's really wild. And so his name is Jeff Emmerich. I suppose you can still go out and read the book. What was it called again? Here, There, and Everywhere. And by the way, when the Beatles broke up, he wasn't done. I mean, a lot yeah. of records you and I like, he did. He did... Uh, Imperial Bedroom by the by Elvis Costello. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and one other record that I don't remember what it was. He did one of my favorite power pop songs of all time, "Places That Are Gone" by Tommy Keene. Oh yeah, Tommy uh, Keene, very underappreciated, but yeah. oh, definitely. Yeah, he worked. He produced Badfinger and Ultravox, and I mean, the, he he was a great, great guy. He should be. If if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did, I mean, they do have their little mm -hmm. you know behind the scenes guys. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that should be in. Yeah, that's a it's an amazing story, and I uh, I need to find that book because I I think that would be awesome. Um, uh, guy's name's Jeff Emmerich, and when did he? How old was he? He's pretty old. Oh, uh, you know, I didn't look it up. He had well, sixty two. He was fifteen. Yeah, he was seventy two. Seventy two. Well, that's not bad. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you did the adding before I could. <laughs> well, uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, Uber producer Dan Peters has the internet machine, so he can that make it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at his fingertips. 
uh, uh, so that's pretty cool. Hey, um, do you have uh, a few minutes to uh, talk uh, about uh, some music other than yes. Mr. Emmerich? I We're always have time for that. Come back and uh, chat a little bit about uh, Hudson's Hot Pick of the Week. So we'll be right back after this short message. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three forty-six on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And that's uh, Joe Strummer and the Moscoleros with Johnny Appleseed. One of my really favorite uh, Joe Strummer or Clash songs ever, but certainly in the post-Clash era, really a great song. And I play that because I have been told by Mr. Hudson, who's on the line with us for Weird Friends, that there is a new box set from Joe Strummer. Isn't that the case? Yeah. But there are there, uh, there are two great box sets that came out last Friday. Um, by you know both of them are people that have tragically lost. We've we've lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is that yeah, Joe Strummer is called. It's just simply called Joe Strummer Zero Zero One. Uh, it's a two disc set, so it's not technically a box set. But ah. the the first disc is a compilation of all the best non-clash moments of Joe Strummer. Uh, so it includes I think that song's one of them. Um, the stuff he did with the 101ers mm-hmm. before the Clash is on it. And then the second disc is uh, a bunch of stuff that, that never, you know, previously unreleased things. Oh, cool. That, yeah, that were re- really, really good. Some some stuff that he did with uh, former Clash friend Mick Jones, for example. Yeah, and, uh, that's basically a Clash song right there, right? Exactly. It's kind of like Westerberg and, and Stinson together, you yeah. know. Those those two are the Clash. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, apparently his wife found uh, he had like a a, a little uh, uh, garage or some sort of structure in the back of their their house or where she found like all these tapes that he had that she didn't know. I mean, this is ten years after he died, fifteen years after he died. She didn't know all these tapes existed, and so uh, yeah, they went through them. I imagine we'll see some more things coming out in the future as they. Oh, yeah. You know, they're not going to give it to you all at once, right? No, no, no. But it's... And the other that came out last week, and again, it's a a person we recently lost. Uh, There's a box set by Tom Petty, uh, an American treasure. This is a true box set. 60 tracks, most of them unreleased. And the thing is, as I was listening, because I've been listening to nothing but these two things since Friday. (laughs) You've immersed (laughs) yourself... Oh yeah, you know, and and the thing is, on one on the one hand, you wouldn't think Tom Petty and Joe Strummer have anything in common, right? You know, but they actually really, really do. They both came around around the same time. They both believed in the power of rock and roll. They both had knowledge of what came before them. Um, I for there, uh, the reason the Clash covered "I Fought the Law" was because Tom Petty had it as a B side. Really? One of his first singles, yes. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. And, and they were both Rebels. Oh, yeah. Petty even has a song called Rebels. I mean, well, they, they were both, you know, Petty was definitely much more mainstream, mm-hmm. but he was he, he was much more of a Rebel than most of the others that had some more success of that era. Oh, absolutely. Um, he never really changed, you know what I mean? Even yeah. when he became very uh popular uh and you know mtv huge he was basically the same guy <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean oh yeah yeah that's yeah. awesome i you know and, and, they I, both, and they both they both performed right up to pretty much the moment they died and they both um yeah they both both their deaths were sh- were shocks to anyone who followed them Nobody. oh absolutely and the thing about them is i consider them both to be kind of philosopher kings maybe maybe uh strummer more than petty but even when you read or when you listen to interviews with Petty, he's a very insightful guy. You know, oh, definitely. In definitely. his own way. Uh, Joe Strummer just had a, this 
amazing um, ability to turn a phrase, you know, and oh, just yeah. the stuff would come out of his head. And when you see the interviews with him, you're like, oh, man, and I, you know, and, and so I like to read Joe Strummer uh, uh, texts, quotes, what have you. And I was just going through some of this. I, I've heard him say this before, and I don't know where it is, but he, he said, Author- authority is supposedly grounded in wisdom, but I could see from a very early age that authority was only a system of control and it didn't have any inherent wisdom. I quickly realized that you either became a power or you were crushed. I mean, that's just, wow. I, mean, I know, that's that beautiful. Today's. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. And I, I often wonder what, uh, you know, what would Joe do, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that is the one big difference between Strummer and Petty is, is uh, Strummer was, everyone knew his political thoughts. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, the clash, that's pretty much why they were formed. Um, whereas Petty, you never, you know, outside of appearing at some benefit concerts, you really didn't know where Petty stood on anything. And that's fine, too. Yeah. Either way, I'm not one of those that that's uh, shut up and saying I think that's a ridiculous thing. Every every person has a right to state their opinion on anything, um, but but Petty was more of a just let the music do the talking. <laughs> this is a great one from Joe Strummer. We'd play to old age pensioners if they'd have us, but we don't have to. The Stones are taking care of that now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they had that lyric in 76, no Elvis or Beatles or Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, so two box or two new releases, essentially, from Tom Petty and from Joe Strummer, and uh, that's awesome. I think we're going to have to um, play just a little bit more of Johnny Appleseed as we as we head out here. Uh, but, Scott, that sounds great. I appreciate your time today. Let's see if we can get, oh, there it is, Johnny Appleseed, one of the greatest Joe Strummer songs ever. Uh, Fabulous. Scott, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KS Wall, and as luck would have it, that's Joe Strummer as well. Front in the Clash. Know your rights. Coming up Friday, Sertoma Beer Fest, six thirty to nine thirty at CJ Calloway's. Enjoy featured beers from Sam Adams and local breweries, along with light appetizers. There will be auction items up for bid. Tickets are forty bucks and support the Sioux Falls Noon Sertoma Mission to help with hearing and speech impairments. For more information on this or any other event, go to our calendar at KSO.com. And after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters, we're going to have Thea Miller-Ryan of the Outdoor Campus in studio with Derek Clawitter, and we're going to talk about hunting with Derek. It's weird how he's named after a hunting program. Huh. Anyway, we'll get into all that here in a minute on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh seven on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and it's Wednesday, and uh, that now, forevermore, means it's time for Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus. Uh, Thea, thanks for being here. Thanks. That kind of sounds like a frog to yeah, me. Yeah, uh, we're going to make, that's all we're going to make you say. Okay, Because as usual, Thea brought a friend, and <laughs> today did. that friend is Derek Clowater, and he is Group Program Coordinator for at the Outdoor Campus, and uh, Derek, thanks for yeah, Derek, man, I thought I messed that up. I mess people's <laughs> names up all the time, and uh, yep. this is just, yep. I, I got through that one. I'm all right. Yep. Uh, Derek, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so the reason you're here, and uh, uh, first of all, how long have you been with the uh, Outdoor Campus, GFNP? Um, going on 10 years now, so yeah. Always years. doing the same thing, or how did you start in this gig? For the most part, yeah. I've been doing programs the whole time I've been there, so yeah. Yep. So group program coordinator. I mean, it sounds kind of like something at, you know, maybe a, a assisted living center. Yeah, what, yeah you know, it sort that... of does, actually. No, you mentioned that. Doing <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. no, my duties, um, basically, to, to perform outdoor-related pro- pro- 
programs for a um, variety of different groups, anything from office groups to um, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, youth groups, and all the way in between. So whenever somebody calls up and says, uh, I want to bring my Cub Scout troop out, can you show us around? That's you? That's me. That's the guy to go to. So well, people go. are always looking for things to do with their Cub Scouts. Oh, Have you ever definitely. noticed that? They are, yep. yep. Which is good. Yeah. And the sure. outdoor campus is a great place to bring the little nippers. It is, actually. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you have come up with a, a, a new program and this is uh, uh you guys are very original over there at the outdoor campus yeah, yep, yep, tell us yep. about uh uh hunting with derek yeah it is actually like I say, a real original program when well, we thought for a tough time to find a better name we couldn't find one so um, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. it wasn't gonna be hunting with thea we knew yeah, that yeah, yeah yep. um the, the way the program came to be is it's a trend now that hunting numbers are starting to dwindle. Mm-hmm. Um, kids this day and age have a lot of other things going on between sports and whatever they have going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in school, we did sports in the fall. We did it in spring, and that was about it. But now kids do sports year-round, and um, the hunting numbers are starting to show. Um, so the goal of the program is to introduce youth and adults um, to the outdoors, and specifically hunting, um, and get them hopefully hooked on a tradition that they'll carry on and share with their family and friends down the road. And uh, it's kind of interesting because um, it's uh, uh, it's it's very personal. It's personalized, right? It is actually, yeah, yep. Um, for myself, um, I'm a real avid and passionate hunter. Um, some people golf, some people fish, some people chew bubble gum, but I don't. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, so, like I say, I've hunted all over the world, and like I, say, I like to share my passion, and hopefully, others will pick up on it and carry on the tradition themselves but if i if i sign up it's just you and me we're headed out right it is actually so you got to be pretty trusting to hang out with me for a while and well uh, you got to be pretty trusting to just (laughs) take me both ways (laughs) this is a gun so and you've been um um, deer hunting this fall right yeah yep yep we started out deer hunting and with the guns um we all go to (laughs) the gun range Um, yes make sure everyone is um qualified and capable of handling and shooting stuff like that and so far, we've all come out alive so far. So, so how many people are we talking about here? Um, throughout the fall deer hunting, I have about 17 or 18 hunts planned. Um, I've done 10 so far, and um, with the avid or with the luck that I have and the um, <laughs> hunters that I'm performing or tra- um, training, um, we've been 100% so far. That's so, pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah yep, so uh, age ranges, you said there's kids and adults, and so what's the age range? Yep. Um, with the program now, um, South Dakota changed the age for hunters. It's pretty much now parental um, discretion. Hmm. Um, so now you can take out a four-year-old if you do choose to. The youngest I've taken out is an eight-year-old. That still seems pretty young to me, to go it deer hunting. Young. It is actually, yep, yep. It is actually pretty young, but um, I know some of my buddies I wouldn't trust to take them deer hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it depends a... on how they're brought up and stuff. So yeah. uh, Now, when you went out with the eight-year-old or any yep. other kid, do, yep. do their parents go along, or how's that work? They do actually have a parent go along, yep. Um, some parents, um, for instance, I took out someone yesterday. Dad didn't hunt at all, Um mom's folks they hunted a little bit but she mm-hmm. never hunted at all so she wanted to see what it was all about and her son wanted to um, experience hunting he's heard about it from his friends and stuff yeah like it was that his idea stuff. so yeah exactly um and she heard about it and yeah, they both had a great time and mom is actually thinking about possibly hunting as well after oh the my god so. so uh when you're out there that see i i put it in the perspective of any sort of other kids activity yep, you know what yep. i mean you're out there and you're teaching uh junior yeah, uh, to yep, uh you know yep. handle yep. a rifle and yep. uh you know hunt deer yep. and you know there's a there's a process to it here yep. right yep. and mom and dad are back there going come on jimmy you <laughs> yeah. can do it <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you're like Shh, we're trying to hunt over here yeah yeah exactly but when we get out there um on the car ride and stuff we talk a lot about about what to do what not to do um, we talk about the wind direction we talk about being quiet and not yeah. getting too excited um, we talk about what to do when nature calls and stuff like that when you're in, in the blind and stuff. So we go over all the little ins and outs that um, they need to do to hopefully be successful. So Parents ever nod off up there in the blind? or You don't take everybody with you, do you? Out, like, like into the blind and everything? Or yeah, we all come in the blind. Um, okay. We started a new program, and um, we have some really kind um, landowners that are going <laughs> to open up their land to us and stuff. So, yeah, um, we've been going down there, and the landowners help us out, and they have some blinds set up. And, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So where are you going to different places every time, or Dif- where do you go? Um, I got a good spot. I got a landowner down by North Sioux City. 
Um, he's oh, been real okay. opening and real inviting down there, and yeah, it's, he's got a lot of deer, so it's <laughs> been working out well for yeah, everyone involved. So. Yeah, he wants to thin the herd a little bit he, down he there, does, does he? Actually, yeah. Well, that works yeah. out pretty well. So yeah. you've been 10 for 10. Yep. Are you surprised by that? Because, again, these are new hunters. I mean, you're you're handling. Not the, not to brag, but um, I told all my um, office mates that I was going to be 100%. Um, oh, maybe really? Maybe the first time, and everyone sort of doubted me, but <laughs> but I have been getting lucky, so I, I got a lot of luck on my side, so. Uh, they, uh, I just imagine, um, people doing that for the first time, yep. uh, that has to be, I mean, that's quite an experience, right? It is actually, um, I've had some kids that when they see a deer, they, they were literally shaking. Maybe yep. We had to set them, pull them down, calm down, say deer's not going anywhere. You right. Know, pull back up there and, yeah, and calm down a little bit. We've had kids that missed and opportunities arise and we had more shots throughout the night and stuff like that too. So, yeah. Yep. Um, did it ever affect uh, um, I mean, you know, you're killing an animal, so yeah, it can be, yeah. it can have an effect on you. It should have an effect um, on you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a kid the other day, he just burst out in tears. Like, oh, wow, did he get hit by, did he get injured or something? Yeah. Goes, I'm just so happy. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So I thought he got hurt. You know, he was <laughs> screaming with tears of joy. So, oh, wow. Yeah, pretty cool to see wow. that. Wow. And so the adults, is it, is it, uh, different for them? I mean, how does an adult approach this the versus adults, a kid? um, this year, they also had a, a change for adults. If anyone in South Dakota who has not held a deer license for the last 10 years can get something called an apprentice license. Oh, really? Um, which is a good for an antlerless deer. Um, and the season is goes from September through the end of the year or whatever. Yeah. So, so wide wide range to get out and stuff like that as well but it's only a one-time deal um you get it this year then you have to get into the regular application lottery. yeah lottery like the rest of us have to get into. so that that's interesting so that yeah. helps your program hunting with Derek. definitely definitely um it's like i really like reaching out to youth but um adults as well um they can actually carry on the tradition with their families as well so it's great to have the adults in the program too so they ever start crying I haven't had any yet. No, no. Um, do, do the, mom, the mom I had yesterday went with her son. Um, she wasn't quite sure how she would handle seeing yeah. um, an animal get shot and stuff yeah. like that. But she said it wasn't near as bad as she envisioned it to be. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know how. I, I mean, I have not killed a deer. Sure. I've never gone deer hunting. So I don't know. We'll sign you up. I, I, I don't know that how it would. I don't know that I could do it. Yep, Honestly. Yep. I mean, I know they're everywhere. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. And. Yep. I just, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. That would be a very strange experience for me. And that's why I asked the question. Sure, sure. Yeah, people do handle it different. Um, one way I like to view about it is the management perspective of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if we didn't have hunting seasons, the deer would get hit yeah. by cars in the road. They would get diseases and starve and stuff like that as well. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And, and obviously um, the meat aspect of feeding, you know, I always tell my Wife, I'm hunting to feed the family always when I'm gone all the time. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> How's that going for you? Yeah. <laughs> Might have worked the first couple times. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't have any problem with other people doing it. It's just sure. me personally. Sure. Yep. Like, it's not an experience I've had, so sure. I don't know how I would react. Yep. 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 You know, I might feel really, really bad. That's mm, one way we can find out. Yeah, we'll oh, man. <laughs> We're going to come right back and talk more with uh, Derek Clowder. He is uh, runs the uh, Hunting with Derek program through the uh, outdoor campus here in Sioux Falls and uh, Thea Miller-Ryan, the executive director of said campus is here with us as well. She's probably not going to say anything though. She's She's been a little under the weather, but we're not going to go into that now. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Nothing but a pickle 420 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are chatting with Thea Miller-Ryan of the outdoor campus and Derek Clowder also of the outdoor campus and uh, Derek is the group program coordinator and uh, we've been talking about this program called hunting with Derek where they take first-time hunters out and uh, this is the interesting thing about this to me beyond what we've been chatting about is that you it, it's like a uh, personal guide right I'm for somebody that's doing it for the first time that's pretty fantastic yeah um, different programs you can do with more people in the group but for something like this I mean I like to have the one-on-one attention to talk about individual questions as they arise and talk about different situations and stuff like that as well. So I believe I can share a lot in a short amount of time um, when it's one-on-one like that to hopefully um, instill all they need to know, the safety aspects, the resources, um, why they're hunting. So. Yeah, so uh, when you do, is there a fee for this or is this free? It's all free of charge. As uh, most programs yeah. on campus, it's all free of charge. So. Um, you have to have your own uh, rifle? I provide the rifle. The state provides the rifle. Really? Um, they have to buy a $5 permit. Um, but other than that, everything's pretty much provided. So what's the rifle? What do you use? We use a 243. Okay. 
243. And uh, a lot of kids um, are nervous to shoot a 243. Yeah. They always hear, you know, first time hunters, this is a kick, does a kick. Um, when we take them to the gun range, I shoot it in something called a lead sled, where it just pretty much sits there and they can't feel the recoil. Yeah. Um, and when we take them out hunting for the first time, the adrenaline, um, they don't feel anything. They don't so, even notice yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I always ask the kids what they're the most afraid of when they're hunting, and they always all say the kick, the kick. But right. Yeah, none of them complain so far. So. Uh, how bad is the kick on a two forty three? Two forty three is not bad. Yeah, I no, two forty three is not too bad. Too bad. Yeah. Um, the the. You've done 10 this year. You're doing t 17 or 18 yep. yet. Yep. Um, you said you did it in the spring as well. Is that yep, I do. I do. Um, I took out a couple turkey hunters this spring. Um, it was a lot of fun um, calling in the turkey, seeing the kids got our expression when the turkeys come close and strutting in and stuff yeah. like that as well. So, yeah, I took out a couple turkey hunters this year just as a trial run to see how it went. And turkeys are a little more challenging to get with the first-time hunter than deer are, but um, we still got lucky on turkeys as well. So In South Dakota, is that uh, slug? Or, uh, what, what shotgun, is that? Yeah, shotgun? shotgun. Okay. Yeah. Certain areas have rifle permits, but for the most part, most of South Dakota is shotgun in the spring. So. And bow. And archery, right. yeah, yeah. Correct. Yep. Yep. Which that seems particularly challenging. It is actually. You got to have the right setup and a blind, but yeah, it's that can be done though. So. Um, now you've hunted. Uh, you were we were talking about for air. You've hunted all over the world. I do actually. I've hunted in um, Africa a few times. Um, I go to Alaska quite often. So, yeah. Where have you not been that you want to go? I wanted to shoot an oscillated turkey down in Argentina. An oscillated turkey. Yeah, yep, does that yep. mean it's what it's going back and forth? What is it? <laughs> yeah, it's just some weird looking <laughs> peacock looking turkey. But I want to get that to complete my world slam for the turkey. So. Oh really? What is that? It's getting um, six different species of turkeys. Um, I did the grand slam of turkeys, which is the eastern, the Marians, the Rio Grande, um, and the Os Osceola turkey. But um, yeah, I want to get the world slam eventually. Huh. So. Say so, uh, they all taste the same. Tastes like tur turkey? Pretty much, yeah. But I just like a butterball. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. Uh, so, and and what's the, so you want to do that, Argentina, which yep. is supposed to be beautiful. Yep, yep. Um, why do you, what's the lure for you to travel the world to hunt? Just sort of like a bucket list to get different species. Um, there's a lot of big TV hunting show personalities like Jim Shockey, for mm -hmm. instance. He travels the world shooting all these exotic things. I don't want to go quite that extreme, but I mean, I would like to do quite a few different species of animals eventually so where's the weirdest place you've been weirdest place i've been i don't know if i've been any place weird um i did a alaska doll sheep hunt um that was one place they had a great time but it was it was miserable it was cold <laughs> and snowy and rainy and we packed in 26 miles and had a, about an 85 pound pack and uh, it was i was questioning my sanity at the end of the trip but i survived so. that's a big pack that's a big pack yeah had so. you ever packed anything that heavy before not for that far. That's a long um, way. I packed some moose quarters, but not near that far. That was uh, 26 miles, a long ways to walk. Two, two day hike? Um, going in, um, going out, we pushed it hard because um, we wanted to get out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yep, yep, it was, it was rough. <laughs> 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 what part of Alaska was that in? That was like in the Chugach Mountains, um, right at, right there by Eagle River in Anchorage. So yeah, right, right close to Alaska there. So. Oh, wow. Or to Anchorage, I should say. Yeah, Anchorage is a cool place. There's yeah, moose walking down the bike trail. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very strange uh, thing. Yep. It's like, oh, everybody's got to stop because there's yep. a moose. Um, Derek Clowder, uh, he runs the Hunting with Derek program at the south, at the uh, outdoor campus, and, and people can still inquire, right? Yeah, um, the season actually goes until the first of the year, um, and I'm starting to wrap up with the hunters that I currently have. Yeah. So I would possibly be able to take a few more hunters if you have any people that are possibly interested in the program. Derek, so. how do I get a hold of you? Um, best way would be call the outdoor campus. Oh, ah, okay. Um, just call the outdoor campus and should be able to get a hold of me eventually. So. Theo, what's the number at the outdoor campus? I can squeak this yeah, out. I know you can. 362-2777. <laughs> 362-2777 gets the outdoor campus. You can talk to Derek Clowater. Say you want to go hunting with Derek. They'll hook you up. And uh, uh, guys, thanks for being here today. Thank you. And uh, we'll probably see you next week, right? Yeah. You're going to be okay? Yeah, we're going to talk about something. Else. Maybe, yeah, something Halloween-ish. Oh, yeah. I'll there you ready. go. Yeah. Come back next week. Uh, this is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Okay. 4.34 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And uh, this week we've been hearing the Nobel Prizes announced from uh, Sweden. 
and uh, everybody in the, across the world has been getting the late night phone call. Well, one of the prizes that was awarded this week was in physiology and medicine, and it went to a, a couple of researchers that are uh, that are, are looking into immunotherapy and uh, treating cancer. And well, we thought, what the heck? Let's talk about immunotherapy and cancer here in South Dakota. And so we're very happy to have with us Dr. Christopher Sumi. He's an oncologist at Sanford Health, and uh, he's working with these the, the results of this research. And uh, uh, Dr. Sumi, thanks very much for coming in today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. So this is big news in your world, um, not just a Nobel Prize, but a Nobel Prize for uh, immunotherapy to treat cancer. You must be very excited. Absolutely. I mean, this uh, is a treatment that has completely changed the way that we manage patients with cancer. It's completely changed uh, the outlook that we give to patients who, you know, often didn't have a lot of other hope when they were diagnosed. Um, it's it's interesting that you know this they're getting this award now for the Nobel Prize, but these discoveries have marched very rapidly forward into the clinic and are you know already um, FDA approved therapies in several instances and are available to the general public. Yeah, and that's what's amazing about this. So uh, these two guys, uh, James P. Allison. Uh, who's uh, an American, and Tasuku Hanjo of Japan. Um, they d- have been doing this research, and we've been hearing about immunotherapy for a long time uh, in terms of the possibilities. And in fact, people have been researching this with less success for many years, correct? Absolutely. There's been this uh, suspicion for many years that you know the immune system is letting us down when there's a diagnosis of cancer, that you know, your immune system is not just there to protect you from a bacterial infection mm-hmm. or a viral infection, but really is to keep anything out that doesn't belong, that isn't self. And so there have been some early limited successes, and we've, there are examples throughout the last century of somebody who would get you know, deathly ill and, with, you know, uh, and uh, when they would recover from mm-hmm. that illness they'd see the tumor shrinking and say, well, what's going on there? That must be the immune system. But uh, not a lot of success um, through the 20th century in terms of harnessing that on a broad scale to bring that to cancer patients. And, and what is amazing, you talked about how people can get these, are, are benefiting from this research already. Uh, and one of the uh, uh, drugs that has been um, based on this research, for lack of a better term, is Keytruda, which People know that's a, a become a fairly common uh, uh, drug or a fairly common name in cancer treatment, correct? Absolutely. There's a couple of different competitor or Me Too drugs mm-hmm. out there. Um, a few of them, like you may see ads for Keytruda or Opdivo, they've done a more direct-to-consumer, you know, broad advertising campaign. But there are a number of other drugs out there as well that all uh, work very much the same mechanism. These PD-1 or PDL one programmed death-1 is the target, um, that they get go in and they block that pathway. What does it exactly do? So I know there's T-cells involved. And I know there's a cancer cell involved, and the T cell is part of the, your immune system, right? That's the, your white blood cells, right? Absolutely. So what happens when in this process? Right. So I'll try to describe it here. This would be a good time for a cartoon, but you have a, <laughs> you have a cancer cell on the one side, and then you have a T cell coming in on the other side. And the T cells, they are um, the patrol. They're the, you know, the, the border guards or the patrol, wh- however you want to think of them. But their job is to go around the whole body and be doing surveillance and looking for self or non-self. Does this belong in the body or not? And it is bumping into other cells constantly, and most of those cells are you. And so there's an interaction that takes place there that says, there's, this is self, this is normal, go away. Don't don't get active, don't be hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's supposed to happen is the T cell, when it finds a cancer cell, it's supposed to recognize that that cell is foreign, and it's supposed to activate, it's supposed to mobilize, it's supposed to attack, it's supposed to bring in the um, reinforcements, and they're supposed to be killing of that cancer cell. Same thing goes for a cell that's infected with a virus or what have you. Now, what what goes wrong is, and the way I explain it to patients is that cancer cell expresses this PDL1 sometimes, which is sort of like showing a fake passport to get into the country or showing mm-hmm. a fake ID to get into the bar. And um, when, you, when that happens, then the T cell says, oh, 
I guess we're cool here. Um, we, I'm going to go along my merry way. I'm not going to attack. And then the cancer gets to live, to grow another day. Um, what these medicines do is they interrupt that. So there's no longer that exchange of that fake passport or that fake ID. And the, the border guard or the bouncer at the bar looks and says, you don't look like you belong here. We're going to get rid of you. Hmm. That's very interesting. So the, the, what essentially you've done is uh, found, not you, but the, in this, this medicine finds a way to get your own immune system to actually do what we want it to do. Absolutely. I mean, that's, the, that's oversimplifying it. Right. But, but yeah. that's but that's what we uh, that's what part of what makes it so exciting. And it's an easy sales pitch to patients when we're talking about, you know, chemotherapy, which is, you know, in essence, still a poison. We're trying right. to kill things that grow fast versus an immunotherapy where really we're just trying to help your immune system do what it's naturally meant to do. And we let this process occur naturally. And for many people who are getting those benefits, they don't even notice or feel right. it, except that they say, I feel better, or I could feel a tumor, and now I can't feel it anymore. That's Those amazing. Things, yeah. that, that experience with the patient must be uh, very rewarding. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just thinking about my, my clinic today. I came over here, and I had you know, three different patients just off the top of my head, one of whom he literally had tumors you could feel. And we said, well, we're going to try this treatment and find out if it works. And he came in even just within the first month, and he said, I can't feel them anymore. They're gone. And another guy who was given, you know, months to live, and he said, I don't really even want to do chemo. And I said, yeah. well, would you, would you try this immunotherapy? The side effects are often much less and certainly different from chemotherapy. And um, if it works, it has that potential to work longer. If we can t- teach your immune system to fight this cancer and find the cancer, it will continue to perform surveillance and continue to fight the cancer long after, you know, maybe even the medicine has been given. And he's, you know, a year and a half out now, and again, no signs of cancer. Um, And somebody who before these medicines were out, he would not be with us today. What sort of cancer, it's not every cancer, it's not all cancer, what sort of cancers does it work best with? Right, so it's a fair question, and we're still learning the answer to that in terms of how do we predict when it's going to work, which tumors should we be thinking about it. If you think back to the ads that are shown on TV, they're mostly marketing it to lung cancer. There's a lot of patients with lung cancer, and that's where we've had some of the most success. Also with melanoma. Melanoma is, we've kind of have the longest track record of using these immune checkpoint inhibitors or any even other immunotherapies to get the immune system to fight. Um, so in general, from the cancer scientist perspective, it seems that the trend goes toward the more scrambled up tumors, the more messed up tumors, the uglier tumors. What do I mean by that? They have more DNA mutations. They look more different from self. And so it's a little easier for the immune system to recognize them. That's amazing. Uh, We're going to come right back and talk more with Dr. Christopher uh, Sumi. And uh, my apologies. He's an oncologist with Sanford Health. And we're going to talk more about uh, immunotherapy and treatments for cancer and basically what's available to you right here in South Dakota. That's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four forty-six on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO, and we continue to chat with Dr. Christopher Sumi. He is an oncologist at Sanford Health, and uh, we've been discussing uh, the breakthroughs in cancer research, including the Nobel Prize, which was awarded on Monday to a couple of doctors who came up with uh, real breakthroughs in immunotherapy for cancer patients, including uh, uh, the drug Keytruda, which led to that. But we're going to talk about that in a second. First of all, uh, Dr. Sumi. Uh, how does one end up being an oncologist at Sanford Health? Where do you, how'd you, what's your path to Sioux Falls? Well, I grew up not very far from here, uh, Fairmont, Minnesota, just a couple hours east of here. And um, I knew um, from high school on that I wanted to be some sort of doctor. And I went to college at St. Olaf and then ventured a little farther out to medical school at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and my wife and I, we moved to Colorado where I did my residency and fellowship training, University of Colorado. And that's when I... Um, well, actually, medical school is really when I figured out that I that I wanted to do oncology. Just I I really had a passion for all that goes on in that you know patient experience. I mean, it's it's an intense time, but it's a challenge that I you know wanted to embrace. And uh, so finished up my uh, 
training in uh, Colorado, and now we've been here in Sioux Falls for over three years, and we love it. What attracted you back to the area? Was it just to live in the region, or what was it that brought you to Sanford? You know, we looked around uh, pretty broadly. I think that the town, Sioux Falls, is the right fit for my wife and I, but but um, Sanford especially had uh, some really exciting features that drew me here that uh, I made me confident that this is a place I could thrive and a place where practicing was going to continue to be fulfilling and exciting every day. So we have a really robust research program, which hopefully a lot of people are aware of. And that actually ties into what we're talking about today with the immunotherapies, mm-hmm. because Sanford was actually one of the uh, first few uh, community cancer centers that was let in on some of these trials that led to the approval of some of these medications that we're talking about. And that work continues today. Um, you know, unfortunately, these immune checkpoint inhibitors, they don't work for everybody. So we've got to find ways to make them work for more people. We've got to find ways to get more successful immune-type treatments that have these few side effects and work for more people. Uh, Is it a matter of combining different medicines? Is it a matter of actually giving people a viral infection and then stimulating the immune system that way? We've got a lot of different uh, clinical trials looking at some of these different approaches right now at Sanford, which really, I don't know, it makes it, it keeps things exciting because we want to be able to continue to bring new and better treatments and cures to patients all the time. It is interesting. We've talked about it in the past, the degree to which people have more access sometimes to cutting edge drugs because uh, Sanford is participating in all these trials uh, that not every part of the country has a, a research hospital that's pulling people into these these trials, correct? Absolutely. I mean, we remark sometimes among, you know, my colleagues that we have patients sometimes are traveling uh, hundreds of miles to Sioux Falls to participate in this trial because there's nothing else for hundreds of miles that they that compares in terms mm-hmm. of a clinical trial option. We've had uh, several trials where we've been the first or the second site in the country to, to have that uh, study or that opportunity. And so um, it uh, it is important uh, that, that we... we want as a mission to be able to bring clinical trials to as many people as possible. Um, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of sites in the upper Midwest where you can go and have a great selection of mm-hmm. clinical trials. Um, there's also, uh, it has to be tough as a uh, oncologist. First of all, you're already dealing with people who have, and oftentimes you're giving them a cancer diagnosis, correct? Uh, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, if, if, a, uh, if another doctor's told them what the cancer is they don't know what to think about that. Yeah. And so I'm the one delivering the details, which might be hard to hear. Sometimes it's true. It's got to be hard too, to, uh, uh, so you have a clinical trial and sometimes people hear that and they, they think it's going to be a magic pill, right? And that you don't, you don't know that. <laughs> yeah, we have to definitely kind of set expectations. I have some people who think that this is definitely going to be the cure and expectations are perhaps too high. Mm-hmm. I have other patients who are you know, afraid, well, you're treating me as a guinea pig and you don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. And I don't want to be a part of something that's uncontrolled. And that's not what it is either. You know, the clinical trials, we have different tiers or different structures in terms of how much we already know about a medication. And so we instruct the patient, look, this is a medication we've already proven its safety. We're just trying to find out which medication is actually better in this scenario. That's you know one example. Uh, you talked about lung cancer earlier, and uh, obviously lung cancer continues to be a uh, a major killer in the cancer realm. I, I don't know if it's the... Still number one. Still number one. Yep. Um, that uh, Keytruda or, or some of these other uh, versions of, of immunotherapy are have been successful in treating lung cancer. Um, what areas then, uh, what cancers uh, continue to be uh, the most difficult to treat and resistant to even some of these immunotherapy areas? What, where the, do the mysteries still lie? It's a good question. So as we are getting better at treating the lung cancers with immunotherapy and that, there are still, it's like, like we just said, lung cancer is still the number one killer. And so we still need um, uh, more options for more people. But that being said, there are some tumors that we don't have a lot of good uh chemotherapy options for, and the immunotherapy doesn't seem to work well for either. And so that's something where we need to crack the code. So a good example would be we're seeing more and more pancreas cancer mm. every year. And that one is really pretty tough in that we we haven't, it's rare to find somebody who's able to just have a, you know, a great uh, response to treatment that can last for years and years. I mean, that's what we, that's what we desperately want. But 
it, we have not, with these drugs that we're, we're talking about, like these immune checkpoint inhibitors, still aren't there in terms of getting the immune system to get into those pancreas cancers. And why is that? A lot of people have their various theories, but nobody's really proven yet what it's going to take to get, you know, that kind of response in that tumor. Do we even know what causes pancreatic cancer? For the most part, unfortunately, no, we mm-hmm. don't. Um, we have some associations, and, you know, I tell patients all the time, the state of the art sometimes is still, whether they ask me for nutrition advice or what to do to avoid cancer, it's still all the things that mother always taught you. <laughs> you know, eat your fruits and vegetables and don't, you know, don't eat the unhealthy and processed foods as much. You know, everything in moderation, mm-hmm. getting exercise and, you know, a good night's sleep, those kinds of things. But um, we don't know what's causing most of these uh, pancreas cancers, mm. unfortunately. Interesting. Well, there's good news, and then there's still to be good news. That's what we'll, we'll exactly. look at it, still right? still a lot of work to be done. Uh, he's Dr. Christopher Sumi. He's an oncologist at Sanford Health, and uh, a really fascinating discussion, and uh, good luck out there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. We'll tell you what's going to happen tomorrow on the show and the rest of the week. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. A little more clash. How about that on this show? I know, right? Hey, Friday is first Friday in Sioux Falls and downtown. It's a special day of dining, shopping, and entertainment in our beautiful downtown Sioux Falls. Events include the Art and Wine Walk, which is great. Artists of the Black Hills at Rayfeld Gallery, Trivia at Pave, and more. Free admission to the Cody Science Discovery Center and the Visual Arts Center. For more information on First Friday or any other events, go to the, the, uh, our listing at KSO.com. I'm going to be down there. My plan is to be downtown Friday for First Friday uh, and do the uh, wine walk, art and wine walk. What do you think about that? Sounds like a plan. Coming up on the show tomorrow, Jason Ball of the Sioux Falls Area Chamber of Commerce. We're going to be talking about tariffs. Oh, yeah, I love tariffs. And the smart cyclist is our weird friend of the day. we got a lot to recap there. We'll see you three to five weekdays. Information 1000 KSOO.